Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers 4DC. Welcome to the Echo Chamber. This is Arthi Shah, senior reporter at The Homes Report. And today we have a really interesting show. We're talking about Twitter. And they announced some big news this week. They have a new VP of comms from uh, Apple, uh, Natalie Karras. Um, and of course, they've been struggling as a social media platform for, gosh, for since, since really since they went public. Um, so on the show today, we have... Bob O'Donnell, who is founder and chief analyst at Technalysis Research, to talk a little bit um, about sort of what he's been watching uh, around Twitter. Welcome, Bob. Thanks, Artie. So, Bob, I should I should probably preface this by saying that you wrote a piece for Recode um, earlier this month called "What If Twitter Died," and that piece has been getting a lot of attention. So, I, I'm curious just. First, to hear, you know, what sort of reaction did you get just for posing this question? Well, it's been—I have to tell you—it's been very interesting, and um, I'm fortunate in that uh, a lot of the pieces I write are actually end up getting published a couple of different places. I, I write them originally, actually, for a site called Tech Pinions, uh, and then Recode picks it up, and then another site called Tech Spot that I self-publish on LinkedIn, and sometimes those get a lot of traction. Uh, and then a couple other smaller sites. But uh, bottom line is, not surprisingly, this one caught a lot of attention. And um, on LinkedIn, for example, that, there were like 450 comments or some crazy thing. Uh, it was a, there was a huge reaction in terms of the comments and, and thousands and thousands of readers. Um, and, you know, the and actually I mentioned LinkedIn because it's the only site that really has a whole lot of uh, commentary available, mm -hmm. um, and so that's the best way to get the reaction. Of course, I got some emails as well, um, and a couple of them that were negative. But it was interesting on LinkedIn because the vast now, mind you, LinkedIn is arguably a competitor in, in a social media perspective, but it's quite fascinating because the essential gist of the of the point of the article was to say, you know. Twitter has evolved into something that, on the one hand, some people believe should be a very general purpose platform, but in point of fact has become very much of a clickish kind of a platform. Um, and the language, it's kind of like a secret club. You know, you have to know the language of hashtags and at signs and all these other kinds of things um, and understand what things you can, you know, when you can add an image and how much that impacts your character count and all these kinds of frankly, kind of arcane things. And it tends to be dominated by voices from the tech business and then celebrity and celebrity followers, but not as much to the general mainstream. It was the kind of gist of what I was trying to say. And in point of fact, that's what the vast majority of the comments on LinkedIn actually agreed with. Um, a lot of people said, yeah, it's interesting and uh, I use it, but it's not essential. A bunch of people said, yeah, I tried it, couldn't care less. Um, so the, the fascinating point, it did seem to strike a nerve to say that there are a group of people for whom Twitter is, is essentially their lives. In fact, as you probably know, there are people who literally, their entire business is about being an influencer. Oh, yeah, Twitter. absolutely. You know? Yeah, I mean... And that's like literally the way they make their money. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's, there's an entire sub-industry of that. Uh, and then there's, you know, there's the, all the bots and all the things, right. to, you know, there's kind of all these manipulations that can be done, just like when anything, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody figured out ways to game the system, so to speak. But, but fundamentally, it's like, uh, you know, the question that I raised was, 
what happens in the world if something like Twitter goes away? And other, some people said, oh, well, immediately something else will come up because the notion of real-time publishing and real-time news is interesting, and there's really nothing quite like Twitter. Um, and and to, be, to be clear, I use Twitter, and, right. you know, I, I have, like, not quite, I have like 1,900 followers. Nothing huge, you know, nothing to write home about. It's okay, but it's not like changing the world. Mm -hmm. um, so, and it is something I've been on for a while, but I also find Twitter, uh, it's, uh, for some people, it's like a drug. I mean, they literally are, feel like they have to constantly follow mm -hmm. it. And early on, as I was kind of getting really acclimated to Twitter, I felt the same way, and I, I ended up spending and, frankly, wasting, mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many hours. Um, and, you know, you have to learn to balance all these kinds of well, uh, various communications and digital tools. Well, Bob, you actually, you, 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 you answered a lot of questions in, in, in my one there. So there's a few points that you touch on that, that, I, that I would love to, to elaborate on. And, and one is, you know, you mentioned that there is, there, there's certainly an appetite for real-time publishing, real-time interactions, real-time discovery. So what do you think Twitter has to do to, to, to actually deliver on that promise, which is, which is what, which is what I think the consumers want. Well, I, you know, here's the thing. I think Twitter actually does do it, but they do it in a way that is appealing to a subset of, uh, the world, so to speak. Um, and in other words, there are people for whom Twitter is already sort of the perfect solution. The problem is that it's a small fraction of the total consumer economy. And, and one of the fundamental questions I was, I would still suggest is, is Twitter, as it's currently constructed, better suited and better off just saying, you know what, we're going to kind of continue to be the way we are, and we're happy with 300 million, you know, people, and that's about where we're going to be, uh, or do they make some radical changes in an effort to broaden themselves out to become, you know one of these social media sites that has a billion uh, users. But in so doing, would they lose the character of the service and would the core group of people that drive a lot of the content on Twitter be so, you know, upset by that that they'd walk away and it would actually end up hurting the service? Because fundamentally... As with all of these online, you know, you know, we're in the world theoretically of democratized uh, access to content. Anybody can publish anything, um, in theory. But the reality is, you, you know, sort of typically the quality hopefully rises to the top, and it ends up being a relatively small people, a group of people who still have influence, whether that's traditional media or a couple of independent voices who've managed, uh, been able to establish themselves. And with Twitter, it's the same kind of thing. Uh, whereby a lot of sort of the valuable or most interesting content tends to come from a smaller, uh, in fact, a pretty small percentage of the total user base. And that group, again, as I said, tends to be very tech industry focused. And, and then there's a lot of the celebrity and sports kinds of, you know, uh, sort of the people, the digital magazine version of a People magazine, sort of, but but real time. Um, so so I, I'm curious about that that 300 million um, user in a figure. Do you know what percentage of those are actually active? 
I don't, I don't, and I'm not sure um, anybody knows for sure, but I've heard, you know, numbers as low as 10% oh, wow. um, are, you know, the people who are really active. And, you know, this, I mean, the whole way all these things get counted of monthly active users, daily active users, and, and what does that mean? And, and, you know, Twitter's made efforts about increasing the percentage of people who don't necessarily have to log in, but can still can get access to their content. I mean, if, in fact... Twitter decides that, they, and it seems to me they still want to become a much broader service, they are going to have to figure out other methods to uh, bring the content that's there to other people. But I think they're also going to have to figure out a way to broaden themselves such that people who are in other industries, for example, besides tech, actually contribute in a meaningful way. Um, because right now it's sort of a self-serving cycle in the tech business. It's mm -hmm. all the all the cool kids in tech, you know, know and need to use Twitter. But if you're not in that business, and let's face it, outside of Silicon Valley, most people are not. Um, it just doesn't have that appeal. So it's it, it's sort of a right now you've got this. It's a classic example of one of these. Uh, we're, we live in our own bubble of the world, and Twitter is that means and bubble of the of the tech world. Um, but, but there's lots of other places where it just doesn't have that kind of influence. I mean, one of the things you know, other than you know, on day to day, sort of sort of as like almost a news feed, I think about when Twitter's filled a really important, um, or, or at least provided a really important service, and I think about. When they were doing the manhunt for the for the bombers in in Boston, and right. how you could I mean you could just because you know my husband and I used to live there, so we were just following it moment right. by moment, second by second on Twitter. And and do you feel like there are moments like that that Twitter just lends itself better than than any other social platform out there? I, I would agree with you, and that's the thing. That's what I mean. The 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 that real time nature of it, because obviously that has nothing to do with tech. That's just a general industry news story. Um, but, uh, and, and theoretically, that would appeal to a much wider audience. But then we move into the challenge of, again, um, being able to really understand and appreciate uh, the value of it. Because, you know, it's not, right now, Twitter is not a curated experience. If someone had signed up for, to Twitter and didn't know who the right people were to follow who had that kind of real-time information, then they would have completely missed it, even if they were online at the exact same time when all that news was happening. And that's the challenge, right? Because we could, you, know, uh, you could have all the right people signed up, even if you had, let's say, a billion people signed up, if they weren't following necessarily the right people who were, uh, you know, tweeting those kinds of, of things that they wanted to know, then it wouldn't matter because they wouldn't have seen it and they wouldn't have been able to appreciate it. Um, and yes, I mean, the most critical things obviously do get retweeted by a lot of folks and theoretically that extends the experience, but it's still kind of a who you know uh, kind of a platform if you think about it, right? It's, it's who you know in terms of who you decide to follow determines the news and information that you get. It's not really that democratic if you think about it it's kind of like well if you know all the right cool people then you get all the cool interesting stuff and if you don't well then you're not part of the crowd i mean and, and that's the clickish nature of it what what can twitter i mean is there anything they can do to make it easier for people to find um you know other people that they'd be interested you know that have that share similar interests um to to follow because i think they did that at one point right didn't they have 
um, like like pre-made lists or things where you could you could yeah you know. I, I I think they did and, and obviously those are the kinds of things they would do I mean there's a couple yeah. obvious things it's like yeah here's mm -hmm. a pre-made list of people that we think are you hmm. know are valuable and and you can sign up for that and then and immediately get uh, sort of a meaningful um, group of people but uh, I you know. I think you're right that they have done it, and yet I don't feel like that's necessarily made a huge impact. I mean, you just looked at, you know, the last few quarters, they've essentially kind of peaked, right, in terms of their users. And, you know, in a world that where people are used to growth being, you know, like 50 and 100% every quarter, that's in stark contrast to some of the other things. And, you know, again, that it's, it's kind of reflective of cool interesting tool for people who are willing to spend the time and effort to kind of figure it out, but it's still a little bit too arcane and complex and not necessarily uh, valuable or meaningful to the vast majority of people. And that's the dilemma that they face. So again, do they, from a philosophical perspective, then figure out a way to make it more uh, mass market friendly uh, and open it up to get more people to use it, but, and we can debate on how they would do that, uh, but, you know, just philosophically, do they do that? But if so, do they uh, risk turning off, so to speak, a lot of the core contributors who kind of like the fact that it's sort of the, it's kind of the inside club, uh, which is sort of implied, if you, you know, I mean, if you spend enough time on Twitter, you kind of get that sense. There's like all oh, these people who really get Twitter and really dive in and know how to uh, really make things happen, and other people who are just kind of more casual observers, which is obviously the much larger group. And so you do run that risk of do you turn off your core content delivery folks in order to make it broader. So that's a philosophical question they have to decide on. And Because fundamentally, it's a business, right? At the end of the day, they got to make money. And you don't necessarily make the most money by having the most people. If you are highly targeted and you get a lot more money per user, from a shareholder perspective, that might actually be a better business model to follow. If if your goal is, is ultimately to make more money, you mm -hmm. know, that's how you get measured, not by how many people you have. It's not a popularity contest. It's about how you make money. And and so that's a well, decision they have to make. Do you do you have any any insight into that? I mean, do you know do you know what kind of return brands are getting when they're when they're advertising on a platform I mean, on Twitter I, versus like Facebook? I, I don't. I mean, I've read things anecdotally. I'm sure that other people have read. But, you know, um, again, it seems to be that, you know, there is a lot of interaction. You know, the other thing, too, I mean, with all of these online tools, um, you have a wide range of demographics. And um, in theory, that means you can really obviously target things much more precisely. Um, uh, it, with a number of, of online social media type of sites. But, you know, with Twitter, I'm sure they have those the analytics of here's the kind of people you want to get to and you can really get in there. My sense is they do get one, – one uh, number I have seen is um, cl average uh, clicks, click-throughs um, uh, for Twitter and, and for that kind of stuff is a little bit higher than some other services. Um, so my sense just based on that, and I'm not an expert in that area, but is that they do reasonably well, but again, is the total demographic good enough for a general motors and a Coca-Cola mm -hmm. or is it better for, you know, Apple and, you know, Spotify and people who are more attuned to that? I don't know. It, mm -hmm. It's, it's a fair question to ask and 
uh, I don't necessarily have the answers there. So, so if you, <laughs> we, we mentioned at the start of the, the show that, um, Natalie Karras is the new VP of comms, and they also have a new CMO, Leslie um, Berland from, from Amex. So if, if they came to you for some counsel in terms of how, right. uh, I mean, what, 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 what advice would you give them? Well, I mean, again, I would start out by asking them, are, you know, do you want to be the biggest or do you want to be the most profitable? Because those aren't necessarily, those things don't necessarily go hand in hand. Um, if they want to be the biggest, which I kind of get the sense is ultimately what they're trying to do, then I do think they're going to have to rethink uh, certain elements of the basics of how Twitter works because it still is uh, too hard for pe people don't want to spend that much time learning how to just be able to communicate uh, and understanding what it all means. And so that would require, I think, changing some of the fundamental nature of how Twitter works in terms of you know how a hashtag and links and and what counts and and possibly even increasing the character count um, uh, to some degree so that some reasonable amount of content can be delivered in oh, a single. Oh, I'm going to ask you about that because you know there's been some rumor right that they were going to lift the 140 um, character limit to like a a, a 10,000 yeah. character limit. So uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, again, here's the the trouble. So. If you move to a 10,000 character limit, then you're essentially a digital publishing platform like almost any other digital publishing platforms, of which there are many. Um, and, you know, that's a, a very different animal than the quick soundbite, you know, uh, nature of 140 characters. Um, and again, it, it's sort of what's your... What's the preference from a philosophical perspective? Or maybe they have two types of feeds. Maybe there's the real-time feed and then the longer feed. Who knows? Mm -hmm. I mean, that would certainly be a, a reasonable option, and people could choose to follow the, the longer feeds, which might end up becoming almost more magazine-style or, or uh, digital news site-style um, versus the real-time style. Mm -hmm. And it certainly would be a possibility for them to have both let people choose between them and design an interface that lets them incorporate uh, some combination of them. That, to me, I would think would be the best thing to do long term is give people that opportunity to have both so they can maintain some element of that real newsy, short hit kind of thing, because that's clearly the value, I think, that most people associate with Twitter um, versus the longer platform, which, frankly, there's a lot of other people who do that. Right. Nobody else does the short hit like Twitter. Mm -hmm. That's what makes it unique. Mm -hmm. But... Can they broaden their into the platform uh, who may not, you know, and then also change a little bit how they, uh, how the nomenclature works and how the, the types of things you have to enter uh, into the system work. And then finally, in addition, as we talked about earlier, figure out a way to preload a certain amount of content so that anybody who signs up immediately finds value. Because mm -hmm. uh, right now, that's not really the case. It's... Mm -hmm. You know, yes, you get recommendations, and there's some of these algorithmic things that they've added. But they're, you know, again, it makes they make more sense to people who've been using the service for a while. Like, oh, okay, cool. I kind of like the way they've done this or that. Um, but even the Nate, right? They've been huge debates about do they do it all real time, or do they make it algorithmic and pop up the things they think are most important, but then not necessarily in real time. And there's, you know, again, ravenous debate of amongst the Twitterati. Uh, of what the right thing to do is in that regard. What's your, what was your take on moments? You know, I've only tried moments a couple of times. I mean, it's conceptually interesting because like you said, uh, 
you talked about the the, the Boston bomber and, and tracking that tracking them down as an example. Uh, I mean, moments wasn't around back then, but it theoretically that's you know the kind of an interesting phenomenon. It seems okay. Um, the few times I've tried it, I haven't seen anything that's particularly uh, knocked me out. Um, I you know when I use it, I do tend to look for uh, a few real time things, but. You know, the other thing is, I'll be honest with you, you know, as someone who is a, who writes on a regular basis, most of the time that I use Twitter, it's shameless self-promotion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's just the nature of what you've got a lot of whole, a whole bunch of people. And when we get into the whole uh, media platform thing, it's everybody's kind of out there pushing their own agenda, which I guess is what happened in the real world, too. But, you know, at a certain point, you can also tire of that. It's like, seriously, all I get is people self-promoting their own stuff. And, um, you know, at, at a certain point, you have to say, I don't know if that's the most effective nature. And yet that's what a lot of Twitter is also about. There's a huge percentage of tweets that certainly come across uh, my timeline that that's what it is. Now, sometimes... I actually I'm interested in what someone else's agenda is. Oh, because that's in line with something that I'm thinking about or reading or or researching or doing or what have you. But you know, a lot of times it's not, and that's again that let me. It's become this very much of a uh, sort of a, a self-referential and a self-promoting platform, and that's another of the challenges that I think. Twitter faces sort of from a philosophical and strategic perspective. Well, you know, you you actually raised that point really well. And and what if Twitter died? And to the point where I think you said nobody, not everyone cares to read about what the self-elected are doing all the time. Exactly. And and and, and so what I mean is, is what do you, what could Twitter do to change that sort of culture that they've created? See, that's the part that I think would be the hardest to change. To be honest with you, right? you know, uh, kind of interesting things, and they may help make it uh, more understandable to a general populace. But the fundamental sort of DNA of what people think about when they're uh, leveraging and using Twitter, I don't know, because it is effective, right? I mean, it's a great way for me to promote if I, you know, I write another piece because I write, you know, several columns a week for various places. I, I, like I said, I, I put those out. Hopefully they're of topics and I write something clever enough to get people to click on it. Right? It's, a, it's a kind of a classic, um, it's like you're writing a, a headline every time you, you do a tweet. Um, and sometimes you get some good ones and you get some action and other times you don't. And, um, you know, and there's a lot of clickbait uh, in, in Twitter just as there is on, on a lot of other sites. Um, so it's, you know, it's a... Uh, it's a sort of a, like I said, built into that to the DNA of Twitter, which is part of the reason why I think there's some people who've tried it and are just turned off because they're like, you know what, this is not really what I'm looking for. I'd rather go to a, a curated site where I know someone has spent some time and thought about it and whose opinions I generally trust or whose, uh, you know, if it's a political, political leanings are, you know, in the direction of where I'm at or whatever it may be. Um, you know, there's the wild and woolly, everything is available versus the practical nature of, yeah, but really what I want is stuff that's kind of organized and makes sense. And and Twitter isn't. And so you have to put up with that. Yeah, I, I was talking to someone recently and he has two um, Twitter profiles and, and one is, 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 is really tightly curated. He probably follows like less than... 50 people so that he makes so that his feed is, is just things that he really wants to see and his other one is sort of to keep people happy right if somebody follows him he follows them right back 
Um, but that's not the one that he checks on a day-to-day basis. It's just too much. There's just right. too much noise there, right? Right. So I wonder if people are, are looking for uh, how many people have sort of workarounds like that. It's a great question. And, you know, but that's a lot of work to do. And my people don't. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I haven't done that. I don't, I don't follow a ton of people. And, I mean, I'm, you know. Uh, I try to keep it because the other, even now it's, it's a fair amount of noise. And I, I only have like, I only follow 335 people or something. I'm like, God forbid if I had, you know, you see these people have 20,000 people that they follow. I'm like, seriously, what could you possibly do with that? How could you possibly find anything? And yet the nature of the service is you want to build up as many followers as you can. So, and that's why you saw the creation of all these bots and things that kind of inflate people's, Oh, look how many followers I have. I'm more important than you are and you know it becomes again it's that whole self-promotional thing and there's a part of you that just goes wait a minute come on this this is this is not great this is not really what you want it to be and and yet again there's a and there's a let's face it twitter is driven more than any other social media platform by ego it really is right it it is an ego kind of thing it, it, to get all the followers and that's why it's big for celebrities mm-hmm. as well because it's great for those people you know who obviously have i mean a lot of them have egos but that's not the point the, their whole business is about having you know a big amount of people knowing and following who they are which is why there's so much celebrity action on twitter as well so it ban it fits that and then it fits the you know sort of self, you know, the digerati self-elected, I'm, I'm important in the tech business kind of mm-hmm. crowd as well. But so, um, one thing I would probably, we should probably address is, is sort of the harassment and abuse issues on Twitter that Facebook has managed to, um, to avoid because of their real name policy. I mean, do you think that's something that, fa- that Twitter's will have to deal with? My, my guess is it, it is. I mean, it obviously, uh, somebody who's not you know i'm not a big personality i don't have to face those issues i've read about them and it it does sound like it can be a real challenge like it is on any kind of thing but yeah you know knowing who somebody is is obviously uh going to be important in those kinds of environments and um you know digital harassment unfortunately as we know happens all over the time all over these places all these all over these kinds of platforms and you know, I mean, there are tools to block and unfollow and, and all these other kinds of things that theoretically get you. Uh, but, you know, people who are persistent, and unfortunately we see that there are people who seem to get obsessed with wanting to, to tick somebody off or bother them. You know, I don't know what the, the best answer to that is, uh, unfortunately. I mean, it is an issue that I think all social media platforms have to address. I mean, like you said, Facebook does it with real name. And, you know, maybe Twitter does the same thing. I'm not sure what the best way to, to do that is. Uh, I, I think, I mean, to be, you know, on Twitter's behalf, I, I don't think that that's, I mean, I think they're making a best effort there already mm-hmm. and, and there are probably additional things they can do, but uh, you know, I think that's, I think that impacts a much smaller group of people. The other issues I think are significantly more important mm-hmm. than that. Not to say it's not important. It is to that smaller group of people who are impacted, but if we're, we're talking about big concerns. Mm-hmm. They've got to deal with the bigger concerns first. So did you see that USA Today very clickbaity headline that basically said that given its cash reserves, Twitter could run for another 412 yeah. years with current yeah. losses? I did. I saw something related to that, yeah. Um, I mean, that's the thing. They do – they have a tremendous amount of money. So, And, and I will say, um, you know, a, a certainly a valid criticism of the piece that I put out was 
that look, they're not going to die because they've got enough money that they could last for a very, very long time. It's like, okay, fine, right. Look, I never said um, that they were going to die. I said, what if Twitter died? What would that mean? Um, not that they were going to die. It's a, maybe semantics, but um, so the reality is, yes, I think they are going to be around for a while, and that's and and, and they have become a part of the social fabric uh, and the information uh, access or you know content for a lot of people, and so it does play an important role. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm you know, again, it's something that I do use and I participate in on a regular basis, um, but. Uh, so there are those, like I said at the beginning, some of those philosophical questions I think they really have to figure out and decide what they want to be when they grow up, so to speak. Um, I mean, you know, do you think they're, they're an attractive um, candidate for another company to buy? Uh, they could be, but then again, you know, um, it, they could, it could be a challenge because they have that much capital. It might be difficult for someone to... Um, to make that a purchase because it's, you know, if they were on, if they had little cash left and they were on their deathbed from a financial perspective, they would be much more attractive. But because they're not, I'm not sure that they necessarily are. Just I think financially it could be a challenge for mm -hmm. someone to uh, take that over, especially since they're obviously, you know, still not generating positive cash flow as, as most, a lot of these things aren't. Uh, so um, that makes it a little bit more challenging, I think, from a, uh, from a, just a financial transaction perspective. So, um, in, in, in wrapping up, I, I would ask, what, what, what do you think is the worst and best case scenario for Twitter moving forward? Uh, well, worst case is that um, they continue to to sort of stay flat from a user perspective while still pursuing a strategy of wanting to be this general purpose. In other words, if they're, the worst case scenario is a mismatch between their strategy and the reality of what happens. And right now, that, you know, unless they start to make some, some bigger moves, that seems to be the path that they're on. And I don't think it's great long term. And then there becomes the questions of, uh, you know, if people start to wonder, for example, you know, what happens if Twitter goes away and they start to realize, you know, I need to start hedging my bets and doing just as much uh, on other platforms as uh, I do on Twitter, then, you know, that becomes a problem. And I'll, frankly, I'll be honest with you, I have. I, you know, I sort of restarted my Facebook account, which I'd started and left to die essentially about three or four years ago. And I thought, you know, I need to start doing some things there and doing more on LinkedIn. I mean, I myself have sort of tried to balance out my social media presence across more platforms, whereas I used to be, quite honestly, much more dependent on Twitter. So if a bunch more people do what I did, that clearly is not necessarily a great thing. Um, and that's based on where they currently are and, and you know their efforts of trying to be this big, uh, uh, much bigger platform. If, on the other hand, you know the best case scenario is they make a few adjustments and tweaks that don't uh, you know, that aren't so strong as to upset its core, really strong base of content uh, creators, that is, the contributors, but at the same time, uh, be, make it more inviting to a general population, um, then they can see growth um, of some reasonable level, uh, even if it doesn't ever reach as high as some of these other social media platforms, but it grows and it continues to have a high average revenue per user, then that's the best case scenario, clearly. And 
how they achieve that, we'll see. I mean, I, I do think the possibility of having, say, multiple options for time, you know, timelines that one is, it continues to be real time and, and shorter, perhaps a little bit longer and tweaked, but one is, uh, you know, this longer uh, publishing platform that might, in my view, be the best option for them. Well, Bob, thanks for joining us today. This was actually, uh, this was really uh, in- informative and you kind of unpacked a lot of some of the points that you raised and, and the recode piece, which we'll include in the um, in the show notes. So those of you who haven't had a chance to see that, you, 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 you can read it there. Um, I just want to thank also our production company, Marketeers for DC, and um, for all of our listeners, we'll see you again on the next Echo Chamber. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Marketeers for DC for producing today's show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. 